a listener production. Oh my God. Can you believe I literally reached the level of lockdown this week where I bought a bouquet made of Lego and made it? <laughs> I thought they sent that to you as a freebie. I thought that was like a PR oh, gift or something. That. Oh. I paid for that. <laughs> <laughs> that was 90 bucks. Oh. And I had like almost 800 pieces. It took me like three hours to make that. $90. Oh, honey, things have got bad. I didn't realise it was a cry for help. I missed it. I'm sorry. I thought that was just a PR gift from the folks at Lego. Excuse me. You, uh, as a hashtag fancy influencer, you have to say when something's been gifted oh, right. in your post, oh, okay. apparently. Mm. No, I bought that, mother effer. <laughs> How long did it take of, you to put it together? 90 of my hard-earned dollar, like almost three hours. It took me a long time. And, like, it was the day that Caleb and I both got a message saying that we had been in a store at the same time as someone who was COVID yeah. positive. So we had to go and get tested and isolate. And that just, like, threw me over the edge. Not because we had to isolate because, to be honest, like, we're in lockdown in Melbourne anyway, mm. so it was just, like... <laughs> I don't know, all it means is you can't do your one hour of shopping a day, which, Mm. like, whatever. The main thing that drove me crazy about that was is that Caleb had had four days off in a row. He'd had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off, and he was driving me insane. Mm. And Caleb is an essential worker with his journalism. He has to go into the office. So on Tuesday, like, I woke up and I was like, yes. I have the house to myself. That annoying man isn't here. I can just do things that I want to do. And he'd literally been gone like less than an hour. And he called me and said, I've got to come home. We just got a message and I was like, no. So I had to have two more days with Caleb in the house, six days in a row. So I lost it. But... Luckily, at the very second we got the message saying that we were a casual contact or whatever and had to get tested and isolate, my Lego thing came in the mail. (laughs) 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 So I just spent the, we went to a drive-through test and got tested. And then I spent the whole afternoon doing that with my headphones in and told Caleb not to talk to me. Such a pleasant girlfriend. <laughs> Making yourself flowers <laughs> and ignoring your boyfriend. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Take it away, my dulcet toned Adonis. <laughs> Hello, Gistners. Welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a topic we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a virtual or potentially at some point physical dinner party at some stage oh in the god, future. Oh my god, negative. We were negative. Our tests were negative. Oh, we're yes, fine. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Came out the next day. Kayla went back into the office and balance has been restored mm-hmm. to the Warland Bond household. Very glad to hear it. And, you know, you're fully Thank vaxxed you. as well already and Caleb's going to be fully yep. vaxxed as well soon. He's so booked in. Yeah. You were low risk. Those are the uh, problems when you date a much, much younger toy boy. He uh, couldn't, he wasn't eligible to get vaxxed until a few days ago, I think. Mm. Like, so he got on the thing straight away and he's booked in and he's doing it. Good on you. Yeah. So that's basically, you know, I'm in lockdown and you're in the wilderness. 
I'm doing like sympathetic lockdown. I'm, yes, still up here in the Daintree rainforest on my own in a hut in the canopy on the side of a mountain with my own private beach and no one around most of the time. We didn't mention this last week, but Caleb is staying at this like wellness retreat, which when he said that to me, I was like, that sounds like my worst effing nightmare. And like, you would love it the most. Okay. But- firstly, you just called me Caleb. And oh, second, did I- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, no. Um, but also, yes, when I told Rosie about where I was staying, it was over the phone and she audibly <laughs> recoiled from the phone. She was so disgusted when I <laughs> described I like, where, where I'm the- staying. Where are the televisions? Where's the internet? <laughs> How do you watch TV? What food is there? How does this work? Mm. But the funny thing is that there are so few people there because of COVID, Mm -hmm. like people can't really travel and you, like we've said a bunch of times, just happened to go to Queensland right before all this lockdown stuff kicked off a couple months ago. And the other week there was no one at the retreat but you and the staff said to you, look, because there's no one here, we might all go home. Do you mind just staying here by yourself? You've literally been in your own version. Like you are Jack Nicholson in The Shining, but at a tropical resort rather than a snowed in like chalet. Yeah. It's like a post-apocalyptic dream because I'm here (laughs) in paradise and there are no zombies anywhere nearby. Mm. Although I will say the adolescent cassowaries kind of look zombie-ish. Like they go through Uh, a real awkward phase where they're a little bit terrifying. Yeah, and I've had 60 acres of rainforest all to myself and all the staff went off and enjoyed a little holiday and left me here on my own. But the first thing I said to you was, where's the TV? And you were like, well, you get reception on your phone at least, which is how you're recording right now. So you get internet so you can watch stuff on your laptop, thank God. And the next thing I asked was, where's the booze? And you were like, (laughs) not that far from shops like yeah. well you have to you have to like hike 10 minutes down a mountain yes get in your car and drive like half an hour to some shops. that's right yes easy so you have access to things the essentials yes that's right i and venture into eat, town every so now and then yeah you don't eat anything except nuts and seaweed so i'm sure you can find that when you step outside <laughs> yes. your door anyway so <laughs> i can forage just Stack up on your pure blonde and forage and you'll be fine. I'm sorted. Cheers. Got all the essentials. But yeah, it does feel very much like a sympathetic lockdown that I'm experiencing right now. So we are all in this together. Except Adelaide, which is where I just was. (laughs) I cannot believe we left the freedom of Adelaide to come into locked down Melbourne. And the numbers aren't looking good, my friends. It looks like it's going up. But, uh, oh, well. As long as the vaccination numbers keep growing, then things are going to start looking so much better. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Please, 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 please. Because once we hit that certain amount of vaccinations, Gladys will give New South Wales more and more little treats (laughs) and Dan will hopefully give Melbourne more and more little (laughs) treats. And, you know, I think it will get to a point where if you're vaccinated, you will be able to access more of life than if you are not, yeah. which I got to say, I think is fair enough. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Plus, get vaccinated. Know, it's just common sense. You've got a lot less chance to be hospitalised or die. Well, exactly. I mean, you know, Caleb and I were 
casual contacts of someone at our local supermarket the other day. And even Rihanna and my sister, who um, is a nurse in Southwest Sydney, in the middle of it all, literally has stopped sending her son, my nephew Muhammad, to school because a kid at his school the other day was positive. Mm. And so, and that is a school that's from kindergarten to year two. So those are people who, those are kids who aren't able to get vaccinated and they're getting it because of other selfish people who are not getting vaccinated. Luckily, Muhammad wasn't at school that day, so he didn't come across that kid and it was lucky. But Rhiannon just was like, okay, well, I'm not going to risk it anymore mm-hmm. because, like, she's an essential worker, so she was able to send him to school while she went off to vaccinate people. Mm-hmm. But now she's too scared to send him because there's just too many selfish people and she just was like, I, she doesn't want to risk it. Mm-hmm. Like, you should not be making an essential worker a nurse who is spending her entire days working hard to keep you safe, you should not make her have to make a choice about sending her eight-year-old son to school, mm-hmm. you dickheads. Mm-hmm. But let's keep it that light was... because <laughs> yeah. everyone wants Lecture a bit of over. light entertainment <laughs> listening to Just the Gist right now, so we'll deliver that oh, starting now. I've got some now. for you. Yay. Okay. Okay, well, I've definitely got a light bit of breaking news to kick us off. Uh-huh. Are you ready? Yes, yes. <gasps> do, 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 do. Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. I see X-ray, X-ray. Read all about it. Breaking news. Do, 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 do. It's coming down the wire. Okay, <laughs> this is... It's very funny that I said this was light. <laughs> I mean, it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. It's funny. I don't know if you might have read this because it's been going around because she did an interview about it recently and so everyone's been kind of talking about it. But um, did you know the uh, Vanessa Amorosi song Shine? Uh, Everyone you see, everyone knows, gonna shine. Yeah, Yeah, so. so I've got the lyrics here. You can give your life. I'm trying to do her voice. You can lose your soul. You can bang your head or you can drown in a hole. Nothing lasts forever, but you can try. Look around you. Everyone you see, everyone you know is gonna shine. That song, right? Bang on impression. It was big when we were in high school, I think, like at her prime. The original lyrics to that song were... Nothing lasts forever, but you can try. Look around you. Everyone you see, everyone you know is gonna die. (laughs) It was everyone you see, everyone you know is gonna die. Which... (laughs) Makes the whole song seem really different. <laughs> and it's a it's a pretty banger song. Like, it's got a good hook and, like, everyone just kind of sang the lyrics not really thinking about mm. it. And she was, like, pitching the song around when she was doing her first record and Mark Holden, who Australians will know as one of our original judges of Australian Idol, Touchdown. was a record man back then, like, worked in the record business. And um, he said to her, look, the song is great, but it's a downer. No kidding. And, <laughs> and so, but rather than, like, change all the lyrics and change the whole song, they just changed the word die to shine. <laughs> 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 and 
And like, even she, in this interview I was reading with her, she was laughing and she was like, look, people don't even, we, we literally changed nothing except that one word. Like if you listen closely in the background, the background singers are singing, don't, 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 don't you do it. Don't kill yourself. Don't you do it. Like it was literally a really depressing song about talking to someone on the brink and being like, how bad can you possibly think it is? Everyone's going to die anyway, yeah. so who cares? But then Mark Holden was like, that's not a touchdown. That is a downer. <laughs> yeah. So changed the word die to shine and then it became quite an iconic Australian song. <laughs> but originally it was a lot darker. And when you read the lyrics and listen to what I just um, beautifully sang to you, <laughs> It makes sense that it was a song about death and not a song about shining. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, like, it does. It adds up a lot more now. Really Bang does. your head or drown in a hole. <laughs> yeah, right. And, like, you never had a mum and nobody needs you yeah. and, like, all that kind of You're like, wait, and how, what does this have to do with shining? Uh, and and no, because it was to do with dying. Uh-huh. Okay. There you go. I told you I'd open with something light and I see what you mean about saying it was funny, but maybe not. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not bright. Maybe not super shiny. (laughs) A little dark. Super shiny. Anyway, love that. Oh, I'm obsessed with this news and I would like to hear what you think about this. So my next bit of breaking news is that the now grown man who was the naked baby on the cover of Nirvana's album Nevermind. Yeah. The baby in the pool chasing a with dollar. his little penis chasing a dollar. It's come out in the news in the last couple of days that he is now suing Nirvana and suing the photographer uh-huh. and suing everybody involved with that album cover choice for mm. child pornography and exploitation. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? My comments. Um, from what I understand, that's just part of what he's suing for. Uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that his dad got paid something like 200 bucks or 100 oh, yeah. bucks or he's, something. He's, yeah. Yeah. He, so. they, his dad was an artist and who like basically, it sounds like he his parents were hippies mm. and his dad was an artist in Los Angeles and kind of they lived and ran this artist's commune and one day this photographer was like, hey, do you want your baby to, like, can you help me out with some photos? And mm. they paid his dad like a 100 bucks and nothing was signed, like no release, no permission. They just chucked this baby in the pool for two minutes, took some photos, and then it became one of the most iconic album covers of all time. Yeah. On which his baby penis features. I didn't even realise you could actually see the junk. Like, yes, you I've never can. looked at I it mean, that closely. Since then, it's been, whenever you read about it now, it's covered. Uh-huh. It's like with a little sensor box. Mm. But the cover is like a baby in a little, mm-hmm. it's a naked baby. It's a naked baby boy swimming. Which no normal person would think is sexual, but I get that there are, you know, off-colour types. Yeah. And I think it just raises a lot of interesting questions to me, particularly now about what you expose your children to online. Mm. Now that we post photos of kids online all the time, like there are the cutest photos of like my nieces and nephew as babies, like when they're in the bath or whatever that I would want to put on Instagram because it's like cute and you Mm. don't think about it. And in 10 years, will that really embarrass them? Or in 20 years, will that really 
embarrass them. Like we never had to deal with the only people who saw our naked photos were family friends who came over and looked in our photo albums. Like who was ever going to see it? And we didn't love and it he, when they yeah, did no. wheel out those embarrassing photos. And people have said, because, you know, he's um, he's jumped on board with it over the years. Like he recreated the photo, I think, on like the 15th anniversary and then the 20th anniversary and then the 25th anniversary. He has never mind tattooed across his chest, but also he has always been quite ambivalent about it. Like over the years he has talked about how it makes him uncomfortable and he's just been trying to make the best of an awkward situation. And so there were some days where he would really embrace it and go, yeah, I'm the nevermind baby. And he was like, that's why I got it tattooed. Cause I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to love this. I'm gonna, but then other days he said, you know, I was at a baseball game once in this massive stadium and I sat there looking at the entire crowd and I thought, that album is so famous that every single person in this stadium has probably seen mm. my penis. Mm. And that, and when he says things like that, you're like, yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. Like that's a lot of people have come out and said, you know, the last few days, like, oh, get effed. He's just, you know, trying to make a buck and he's acted like he's loved it over the years. But you're allowed to on the path to figuring out that something makes you feel exploited and shitty, have different feelings about something. Mm. That's right. I don't know. I just think. I agree with that. And I think that he he should be compensated. Me too. I think, look, saying that it's child pornography, I think is possibly a step too far, but I certainly think he should be compensated. He should be compensated for being in that photo and having that photo everywhere. And he should be compensated emotionally, whatever that means for, but then that opens this door because it's like the amount of kids who are on Instagram, like being a parent of an acute Instagram kid is a job now. Like I follow like 20 cute Instagram kids whose parents run their accounts, but they're just cute and they do cute things. Ew. And you follow them because they're cute. Don't say ew, they're cute. (laughs) Like I follow so many cute kids, like cute toddlers and stuff, who like they're just really cute and their parents run their account and you can tell these kids are making a lot of money, Mm. like they're getting sent merch and sponsored stuff and whatever. I don't know, like... This kid was probably one of the first to have a widely circulated picture like that, and that was, what, 1995 maybe? Mm. So in 20 years, are we going to have a bunch of kids suing their parents going, what the F? How could you have put me out there like that? Potentially, and I guess that's why so many celebrities, whenever they post photos of their kids, they put a little emoji or something over Mm. their faces so that they can't be identified. That's obviously for security reasons as well as for... um, privacy reasons. And I have heard of a number of my friends talk about their reluctance to post anything of their kids online because, you know, they can't get their consent from them because the kids are too young yeah. to be able to do that. The thing is, in his particular instance, he's only recognisable because he kept identifying himself. It's not like people walking down the street would have been like, oh, you're that baby, if he'd never at any point put himself in the media as, here's what I look like now that I'm 20, here's what I look like now that I'm 25, you know what I mean? Like, he's tapped into sure, that but- curiosity. 
Um, but I don't think it has to do with the fact that people look at him and know that it's him. I mean, even though he did those media appearances, I wouldn't know it's him. Even reading about it the last few days, I wouldn't be able to pick him out of a lineup. I think it's just for him personally knowing that he's been exploited in that way and it makes him feel vulnerable and gross mm, and abused, mm, I think. Yeah. I mean, it shouldn't matter that people recognise him now. It still happened. He's still living with it. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I just... That, you know, he chose to give away his anonymity, but still he's... It doesn't change the Did he choose it, though, if, if he was being forced to make the best of a shitty situation? I mean, there's no way he went to magazines on, when he was 20 and said, hey, do you want me to recreate the photo? Like, he would have been approached... Mm by people saying, you're the nevermind baby, do you want to do a photo shoot? And if you were feeling like, oh, I hate that and it's embarrassing to me, but, yeah, okay, it's kind of cool that I can get some fame out of it. I don't know how I feel about it, but sure, yeah. Like, I just think you can't, it's made me really uncomfortable the last few days the way people have been going on about the fact that he has no right to feel um, taken advantage of or exploited because he has embraced it in the past. It's like, well, what do you expect? He was just trying to figure out how he felt about it. Mm. Like he was just, if you were on the cover of an album when you were a little kid and then people wanted to talk to you about it later and you felt weird about it, but you were just like, well, okay, sure, Mm. I'll do it. And they probably paid him a lot to do those photo shoots too later. Like Mm. they were probably like, here's five grand, recreate the photo. He would have gone, okay. Like it doesn't mean it he's not been mentally affected. Yeah, that's definitely true. And look, it's such an iconic image from the 90s that's been on T-shirts and posters and not to mention the CDs and records and whatnot. So, you know, a lot of people have been making money off the image, but he's completely missed out. So give him his Mm. slice of the pie. Yeah, I mean, I that's what I think too. He deserves a slice of that pie And he deserves, I think, to have it acknowledged that it was probably, I don't know, it's hard to even say that it was a shitty thing to do. It was just a misguided thing to do. And I just think it's, it's, however this case goes, I have a feeling it's just going to get thrown out because people seem to have zero sympathy for him from what I've been reading. But um, it says a lot about how we are putting our kids online at the moment. And how that's going to, in 10, 15, 20 years, we're going to have a lot of grown adults who are really angry about what images of them are out there before they were able to say whether or not they wanted them out there. Yeah. I mean, Muhammad really wants to have a big online presence, right? And that's something that, yeah, Yeah. Rhiannon's monitored that really closely. Yeah, he loves doing his little TikToks and funny stuff. But, I mean, that's another thing. Like, all kids all kids want to be out there like that. They all do. Mm. When you say to them, what do you want to be, they go a TikTok star. Yeah. Like, so that's another thing that, like, if a kid comes to you and says they want to do something really embarrassing and stupid and film it and put it on TikTok, it's your job as their parent to go, mm, I think you might regret that later. Yeah. Like, mm. no. Mm. So, I, which Rhiannon does. Like, Rhiannon monitors yeah, his stuff really closely, but like, oh, I don't know. It's just a lot of, it's juicy questions. 
<sighs> we're talking about the big issues, Rosie. We're meant to be keeping I it light really and fluffy. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I was like, oh, my God, breaking news is so light. And then I was like, lol, dying and naked babies. <laughs> okay. Here's the last one. <laughs> this is just a quick one. The poster came out today for the new movie about Princess Diana. Have you seen it? No. Google it right now. The movie is called Spencer. In the dress? Yes, the white dress and she's and Kristen Stewart is playing her <gasps> who last week I kept calling Kirsten Roberts but <laughs> <laughs> Kristen Stewart is playing Diana in this biopic and the poster is incredible Shut the front door wow I know and this I tell you what this is going to be the movie that for me is like make or break convinces me once and for all whether or not Kristen Stewart can act. Yeah. Because I've said for a long time that I don't think she can. I think she just plays sullen, sulky, and she's good at that. I said, you know what will convince me she can act? If she plays a, like, bubbly, airheaded cheerleader. Yeah. Then I will believe she can act (laughs) because that is, like, so outside of what I've ever seen her do. And, I mean, Diana, she's playing Diana in this biopic, which, yeah, Diana had a lot of sulky moments, but Diana was also, like, very famously airy and lovely and and light and funny and gregarious and all these things that you do not think of when you think of Kristen Stewart. Yeah. So I am pumped to see it and the poster looks amazing. I kind of hope it's terrible, though. I think that would be such a sensational train wreck to behold, her just mangling all of Diana's, like, key mannerisms. I mean, just quickly, The Crown Season 5, you and I kind of disagreed on this because I thought the actress who did Diana just overdid it and it was too much, but you thought she nailed it. I thought she nailed the voice. Uh Like, she was very good at elongating the words and having that breathy. Like, she had this thing where she was like, well, Charles, you know, I love him very much. Like she, the actress, what's her name? Emma Corrin. Oh, actually she's come out as um, non-binary. So their name is Emma Corrin. And they, I think, nailed the bits they needed to nail for it to be a believable Diana. Mm. I thought they took it that little bit too far where it got into caricature territory. And i got to tell you, <laughs> I actually really hope that Kristen Stewart does the exact same thing because I oh, want to watch it two hours of that. <laughs> you are a bitch. See, I am glass half full. I'm hoping she wins an Oscar. You're hoping she wins a Razzie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that is breaking news. And it's your week this week, so I get to do my favorite thing, relax. Yeehaw. Yes, this week I'm I'm taking the lead and I'm sharing a story of how a cheeky little prank in the 70s sparked a trend that spread around the world in the 80s and then went on to spawn an economy and an art form that's still alive and thriving today. I'm telling you the evolution of crop circles over the last four (gasps) decades. Yes. And And it's all aliens, right? uh The answer is just the gist of crop circles is it's all aliens. End of episode. <laughs> <laughs> right? Good night, everyone. Thanks for coming. Good night, everyone. Goodbye and good luck. Goodbye. Look, 
if you want to make up your own mind, then fine. But cards on the table, I'm pretty close to 100% sure that it's just people. But uh, okay. things can never be quite that simple, can they? And I will just say before you start that you have lost your mind preparing this episode. <laughs> so I am yes. very excited to see where you have landed on this one, my friend, because you've been to some weird corners of the internet. I have, yes. Look, I've landed where I began. It was just a round trip where I started yeah. off believing it, they're all done by people. But, yeah, man, I've been down some rabbit and holes. And then you I've, went into I've space? things. <laughs> Now you're back on Earth. <laughs> I've or done we'll a Bezos. See. Okay, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't really expect that this was going to be such a character-driven story mm. and I knew that there was one sort of scandal but I mm. didn't realise there were so many petty rivalries and, like, public feuds that happened along the way. We um, love petty rivalries here on Just the Gist. We really do, yes. We really do. The more public, the better. Our bread and butter. And the whole thing, it's... Like, it's just a really fascinating study of how ridiculous humanity is because it all boils down to two middle-aged men started making circular imprints in fields in England in the 70s and within five years, crop circles had become like a religion to thousands <laughs> of people and there were devotees who dedicated their life to them. This is more on theme for just the gist than what I thought. Yeah, it's got so many different elements that okay. are just what you're all dying for right now, especially those of you who are in lockdown and just want to hear about something fairly lighthearted and ludicrous. Yeah, okay. But, like, just to start off, the term crop circle, we've grown up with it. Yeah. But it didn't exist as a term or a concept until the 1980s. I mean, because the TV that we were watching, especially in the 90s, featured so heavily aliens and stories of abduction and documentaries about Roswell, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And crop circles would pop up again and again and again. So it's I think I just thought that they'd been around forever. It's weird explaining to people that back in the 90s, we had this true crime show called Unsolved Mysteries. And every story, like they had you know, what, six or seven stories in a night and you think it's a true crime show, which today would just mean a whole lot of unsolved murders, but back in the 90s it was unsolved murder, weird alien abduction story, unsolved yeah. news story, <laughs> weird alien abduction story. Like they literally used to put alien abduction, crop circle, unsolved space stories in with cri unsolved crimes. They just and treated them like they were the, the same thing. They ask you to get in touch with your local yes. authorities if you have any evidence they that do. might be able to help solve the case. It's like, do you have any evidence to help us locate this missing child or do you have any information about the UFO in the sky over Tasmania last <laughs> night? Like they treat them as equally important. Really the 90s do. were yes. a weird time, my friend. <laughs> yeah, and similar quality reenactments as well. <laughs> yes. They're out there on YouTube if you want to watch some old episodes. I certainly did. I should probably just explain what the basics of a crop circle yes. are, though, for anyone who's not really familiar. I'm mostly going to use the term crop circles or designs, but some people call them pictograms or pictoglyphs or pictographs. Oh, um, they're basically just 
areas of farmed land that have these huge intricate designs imprinted into the wheat or the barley or the canola. So the crop is just laid flat in certain areas and it leaves a pattern. Usually it's claimed at least that a crop circle will appear overnight very Mm. mysteriously and then the next day the farmer who owns the land or a croppie, which is the name for a crop circle hunter, reports it to it make sure that it gets surveyed and logged and photographed and then often it will be publicised so then people come and flock to see it and dance in it and meditate in it. So it's basically just a big intricate pattern has been drawn into the grass in a big field. Like a a farmer wakes up in the morning, goes out to his field and there's a weird alien supernatural-looking pattern in his land and he's like, what? Mm-hmm. And people think it's aliens. That's what a crop That's circle right. is. Yeah. Yeah. And the vast majority of them happen in England each year, specifically in the southwest area near Stonehenge. Mm-hmm. Um, they only happen in the northern hemispheres spring and summer every year for obvious reasons. The crops actually have to be there for a crop circle ah, to arrive. Course. And we call them crop circles because they started as circles, but they're not all necessarily circular. Um, Some of them have very angular designs now. Some of them are very basic, but they've become more and more elaborate over the course of the last four decades. They're all documented meticulously by the people who are obsessed with them and worshipped by thousands of people Mm. all around the world who Mm. will, like, make a pilgrimage to go and see them in Wiltshire and Hampshire every year. They do pop up around the rest of the world, North America, Australia, we get some here. Western Europe sees a fair bit. Japan Mm. sees them sometimes, but more than 85% of the world's crop circles happen in Wiltshire and Hampshire. That's so weird because in my brain, and maybe this just because I grew up watching so much Unsolved Mysteries, which is an American show, I assumed they pretty much exclusively happen in America. Like, Mm. so that is so interesting that they all happen in that area of England around Stonehenge. And you're going to find out why it happened around Ooh, that area. Because it's yes. aliens. <laughs> and aliens build Stonehenge, obviously. Well, that's the belief. There are a lot of ufologists who base themselves near Stonehenge and the Avebury circles because mm. they believe that's where the aliens are going to show up. And then funnily enough, that's where they have sighting after sighting after sighting of UFOs in the night, during the day. Um, And then, yeah, of course, they end up getting these crop circles there as well. Mm. So we'll start there, Wiltshire, 1981. Um, That was 40 years ago. Just take a moment to let that sink in. No, it wasn't. I'm afraid you're incorrect Mm. and it wasn't. So moving on. Did the maths twice. (laughs) 40 years ago was was 1960. Everybody knows that. Um, We'll get through it together, don't worry. Okay, for the first time, 1981, the English media reported on this strange phenomenon. A formation had appeared in a farmer's field overnight. It was five circles arranged like a five on a dice, so kind of like a cross with one in the Mm. middle and then four around it, all evenly spaced out. The one in the middle was the biggest and then the smaller ones around it pointed to north, south, east and west perfectly. And they were perfect symmetrical circles, perfectly spaced. The crop was laid perfectly flat 
on the ground. And the news cameras showed up to capture it because no one had seen anything like this before. And it was a novelty and it was presented to the audiences like, wow, what a mystery. And they invited all these experts on TV to talk about where they think this thing originated. An animal expert said he believed the circles could have been made by hedgehogs as part Mm -hmm. of their mating ritual. Like they have to create a really impressive nest to bring the ladies back to. Sure, yeah. A meteorologist came forward with a theory that he said he thought that the pattern was created by a wind vortex, kind of like a tornado spinning in an anti-clockwise direction because in the Northern Hemisphere, fun fact, all tornadoes go counterclockwise. Really? Like toilets? Tornadoes are the same as toilets? (laughs) the same thing. Yeah. So here we get clockwise, there they get the opposite. So spinning, spinning, spinning. That is a fun fact to tell at a dinner party that just like Mm. their toilet water in the Northern Hemisphere goes the other way, so does their tornadoes. You're welcome, everybody. Yeah, that's a good one. You don't even have to mention the toilet bit if you don't want to. No, mention it. It's mention it. It's important (laughs) to the story. And mention that it was Jacob William Stanley who told you about the toilets and the tornadoes. (laughs) Um, So then the tornado sort of collapses and punches a depression into the crop. That was the theory that he was pushing forward. Yeah. And he said, yeah, it's actually been seen before that you can have a big tornado with little ancillary tornadoes going around it. So that's how it could have created the the five circles altogether. But, I mean, I, I haven't seen the specific one you're talking about, but I have seen photos of crop circles and they're all perfectly spaced like it's not just like a circle over there and a random one over there it's like one perfectly in the center and then one five meters away in that direction five meters away in that direction like it looks like it's been drawn with a ruler yes and that's what this one looks like as well so tornadoes really perfect don't just follow along the lines of a compass or a ruler i don't think neither anyone other than himself yeah. Yeah. So, right. nor did the hedgehog guy. So, of course, <laughs> it was then the ufologists who came forward saying, well, clearly, this is just proof of where an alien spaceship has landed. You've yes, got the obviously. body of the ship and then the four legs. Yeah. Then more and more sightings started to appear. And the news crews had got really good ratings by reporting on the first crop circle. So, of course, they started showing up to all the other crop Mm. circles to report on it. The only theory that wasn't really getting much airtime was that maybe it's just people making these patterns in the crops because that's not fun. You're just talking about vandalism then. So they kept trying to push the wind vortex theory, but it kind of started to fall apart when the circles started to appear and they were laid down in a clockwise direction. Oh, uh-oh. And That's not how the And then the guy tried go. to backtrack and said, <laughs> oh, yeah, sometimes they can spin the other way if they really want to, if the conditions are right. But then the design started to appear with a combination of straight lines as well as circles. So hey. that's when the meteorologist was sort of like, well, I've got nothing now. Yeah, and, out. of course, the animal expert that claimed it was a mating ritual was like, hey, I'm stumped. So then the ufologist in paranormal normal types were like, ha ha, we were right. (laughs) It's our time to shine. Um, And so over the next few years, every summer, more and more circles would appear each season. And they were still mostly fairly basic, but starting to evolve, get a bit more complex. And the media would just for like size context, they're big, right? Like when you say circles, these circles are like what the size of 
a swimming pool or a car or bigger? That's the thing. The variety is oh, pretty okay. big. So, like, you might have something that's 10 metres. You might then have something that's 500 metres. Yeah. Okay. Really depends on the intricacy. But the thing is as well, what they noticed was within each season, they would start quite small and quite basic. And then as the weeks progressed, they would start to get more uh. and more intricate, almost like the ones they were doing at the beginning of the season were for practice while they were getting ready to do their showstopper later on. Yeah, crazy okay. theory. Mm. Anyway, because the media wanted to talk to some experts mm. who'd be able to give them some good sound bites, they started to talk to these people who'd labelled themselves as circle scientists or, as they called themselves, seriologists. What? And that's the official term, seriologists. For what does that stand for? As in like cereals, so corn and wheat and barley are types oh, of cereal so grains. So they're cereologists. Cereologists, yes. As in I am an ologist of things that land in fields that grow crops that make cereal. That's, That's a right. long, what do you call it, bow to wheat, wait, bow long to string. bow to draw. Bow to draw. Yeah. Long, yeah. that's a, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's a stretch. It's a lot but, of dots you know, to connect. It's a stretch. Yeah. They okay. were happy with it. They've stuck with it over the years. Yeah. And these seriologists, they were absolutely adamant. There was no way the circles could possibly be man-made. They were just too geometrically perfect. Mm. And some of these seriologists started building a profile for themselves and getting a bit of a following. So three I want to tell you about because they'll recur throughout the story are firstly a guy called Michael Glickman. Oh. He was a very successful professor of architecture and he threw it all away to become a seriologist and dedicate his life to the study of that's crop a, circles. That's a choice. Just became a daily obsession for him to know everything that there was to know. He was also a very deeply religious man who was mm. convinced the circles were sacred signs from God. And so that religious devotion is part of what drove him to okay. make this his life's purpose. Yeah. There was another guy called Pat Delgado, who we'll hear about a little bit later on, also very religious, believed that the crop circles were divine symbols. And then there was Colin Andrews and he, similar to Michael, he'd become so obsessed with crop circles that he lost his wife, he lost his job mm. as an engineer and just mm. dedicated himself full time to figuring out where these crop circles were coming from. He wasn't certain that it was UFOs, but he thought that that was the most likely explanation. Yeah. And just like the others, he refused to believe that there was any evidence that indicated that circles and patterns could be made Look. by men. I will say that the thing that got me about crop circles over the years is that I also thought they're too geometrically perfect and they're measured too perfect. Like how could a man or a group of humans do create something that you can only see from an aeroplane above it to look that perfect and amazing? Like how could any one person do that on the ground. Like, that's what I never understood. And that's the thing that always made me go, maybe. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. I'm being honest, in the last week, every now and then I thought, <laughs> mm, but that one may. Uh. I don't um, know. I think we need to say right now that as long as you were staying alone in the wilderness at that retreat, you are not allowed <laughs> to do any more conspiracy based, just the gist stories, because we could lose you. I think that's a healthy yeah. choice. Yes. <laughs> 
We could yeah, lose I'm you. Living on a slippery slope. I don't need to get on a different <laughs> slippery slope. Mm. Yeah. So when you team that with the fact that they really wanted to believe that this mm. was something supernatural. Yeah. And then they're seeing something that looks so extraordinary. They really wanted to convince the world this is not just some sort of hoax. This is something really important that we should be paying attention to that's either coming from the spirit world or it's coming from another dimension or it's coming from another planet potentially. Mm. They were all friends at first and allies and they would mm-hmm. hang out every day and just feed each other's obsession. Um, but then they each started up their own newsletter and they each started running their own Uh tours of the crop circles. So things started to get a little bit competitive between them and combative and their theories started to diverge from each other. And so the Mm. friendships sort of broke apart. Colin and Pat stayed friends for a while. They wrote a best-selling book together. That was the first book on the topic and it was huge and Michael Glickman was very, very jealous of the success that they were getting from that because that then led them to get a lot more airtime on TV, which is what they all really wanted. So jealousies were arising. Meanwhile, to feed all of the interest, historians started digging up written accounts of supposed crop circle descriptions from the 1500s onwards, Mm -hmm. which started to give this whole thing a bit of historical significance and gravitas. Someone even claimed that a 7,000-year-old Aboriginal cave painting was of a crop circle in a country where they didn't even have crops, but okay, (laughs) yeah. And what is that? They just read in like a book from 1700, like, doth woke up and saw doth weirdeth, doth patneth, in eth cropseth. And they just go, that was a crop circle. Very similar along those lines. I wasn't actually going to tell this story, but I'll <laughs> go ahead. That <laughs> they found this woodcut, which was what they used to use to make like newsletters back yeah, in the yeah, day yeah. they'd carve something into wood and print and it's called the mowing devil and it tells this <laughs> cautionary tale of a farmer asked a man to like go out and use a scythe to cut yeah. down all of his crops harvest it and the guy quoted him how much money it was going to cost and mm-hmm. the farmer said no that's too much money i'd rather have the devil mow my crop and the next morning when he woke up sure enough mm. the devil had mown his crop in a circular pattern. Mm. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. The croppies were like, see, evidence. He managed to attract a crop circle 400 years ago. But wasn't that just evidence that a man did it and not a alien? Or maybe it's just a made-up story about (laughs) don't tempt the devil. Yeah. Okay. So just there's been they they were finding evidence of things going back a while. If you can because read the, anything into anything if you want to. That's right. And yeah. the appetite was growing so much for yeah. information about crop circles the historians were like we could get involved in this mm. as well. All the publicity that was being generated throughout the 80s led to the creation and expansion of an economy. Tourists from around the world were flocking to Wiltshire and Hampshire every year Mm -hmm. and aerial tour operators popped up so you could go and look at all the circles from a helicopter or a light plane. 
um, ground tour operators would bus folks around to give them the chance to go out into the crop circle with their divining rods and their pendulums and their crystals (laughs) so that they could have a spiritual moment. Loads of photographers were selling posters and books. Mm. People were making T-shirts and hats with circle designs on them. Even just the local hotels and pubs and shops were all thriving because they had so many people coming to visit. Of course, psychics had to get in on the action. So they'd descend on the area and they'd offer to like be a conduit for messages from the ancient spirits and help to (laughs) decipher the meaning of the circles for each individual that was willing to pay a small fee. Of course, always if you're willing to pay a small fee. Yep. So all of these hundreds, thousands of people were making money from the circles. So they had a vested interest in making sure that the Mm. mythology around it being this huge mystical force um, was something that they wanted to maintain. So they were all working together to keep the mystery and the allure alive, which for me kind of answers the question, why was no one getting caught making these crop circles? It's Mm. because no one wanted to catch them. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think there's certainly a commercial, there's a cynical commercial aspect to it that people are making money. It's kind of built a new thriving industry. But also, like we talked about in our Blair Witch Project episode and like we've talked about a lot, in a, lo- a lot of what our stories come down to, we even talked about in JT Leroy, is that at the end of the day, people are just desperate for a sense of connection and for a sense mm. of purpose. And something to this, believe in. Something yeah. to believe in. And this is the kind of thing where, yeah, there's a lot of money to be made off the tourism to go and look at these crop circles, but also it's just giving a lot of people purpose. This is now yeah. their life, believing in this and talking about the conspiracies around it. And same with QAnon, like waking mm-hmm. up every day and, and thinking about what it could mean and talking to other people about what it could mean and then going there and visiting. It, it just gives people something to live for. Absolutely. Yes. And they were not going to let it go. No, yeah. People don't want to let that go. That's a precious thing. It's all anybody wants is a sense of connection and purpose. And when you get Mm -hmm. it, you don't want to lose it. Mm -hmm. Now, just quickly on the farmers, I will point out some of them were pissed because not only was their crop being partially damaged. Yeah, I was going to ask, are they like when they wake up in the morning and there's these massive crop circles in their crops, do any of them just go out and just flatten it all and go get lost? Yeah. 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 There was some that would like, they would try their best to keep it quiet and Mm. hope that no one noticed. But of course there were planes flying around over the top all the time. So even if they did try to keep Mm. it quiet, they probably weren't going to be successful. So yes, often they would just get out there on their tractor and erase the whole thing because they didn't want hordes of tourists flocking into their fields, potentially doing significant damage to their crops and their livelihood. And also some of them, you know, the, People who were quite sort of religious thought that it was a paganistic sort of thing that was associated with the devil, so they didn't want anything to do with it. Mm. A lot of farmers would call the cops, but there was really nothing that the cops could do because it's not like there was any evidence left on site and it's still an unsolved mystery, so we can't prove that it was actually people who (laughs) had done this. So I think what a lot of people forget is, like, at the end of the day, this just screwed over a lot of hardworking farmers. Unless they're the ones, unless they're the ones who make money out of the 
I mean, the smart ones would like, you know, dive, what do you call it? Diverge and go, okay, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to start making money, charging people to come and look at this then. If I can't make money out of this crop, I might as well charge people to come and see it. You are thinking like a Wiltshire farmer, my friend, yes, because that's I exactly am. what they started doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of them absolutely loved it when a crop circle would show mm. up in their field because they thought that was a reflection of the type of person that they were, <laughs> that they were special. They'd been chosen to receive a gift like this. So they would shout about it, try to bring in the media, bring in crowds, get some attention. Yeah. And yes, also suggest that people who come to visit might like to leave a little bit of a of donation. Course. Yeah. Plus, they could also appreciate that the whole thing benefited the local economy so everyone in the community was better off if the crop circles were helping to lead to you know a massive boom once a year yeah um so yeah everyone involved was making more and more money year after year as the design started to get more and more complex and as the designs got more complex the theory started to get more complex Mm, as well tell me So some of them are based in the scientific, at least somewhat. Some of them are just purely paranormal. Some of them sort of cross over between the two. We've already spoken about the obvious, most common belief, which is UFOs, that they're either landing on the ground Mm -hmm. and that contact is what's causing the pattern to be formed in the crops or they're making the imprints using some sort of special magical power that they're deploying from the sky or technology we don't have access to. Yeah. Frequently when a new crop would appear, someone would come forward saying, I saw lights in the sky that night (laughs) in that exact area. I can't believe it. And the UFO believers think they're quite convinced that the aliens have been using crop circles to get our attention and then to start sending us messages Mm -hmm. over the course of years. That's what their understanding is of why it's happening. Yeah. Some people who are a little more religious believe that it is a god or gods or it's angels. So Christian Mm -hmm. religious types would choose to believe that angels or God herself are sending messages Mm -hmm. directly to mankind. Pagan type people believe it's potentially the goddess of agriculture or Gaia, Mother Earth herself, sending us a message by sort of tattooing herself in a way, Mm. or it's ancient fairies that are trying to bring back Mm. some ancient wisdom that we've lost as a culture. Saying, hey, it's me, God. (laughs) 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 Snap out of it. Snap out of it. (laughs) (laughs) Some people believe they're messages from alternate dimensions that are trying to get in touch with us. Mm. Some people believe that they're messages from the future. Quite a common one is a theory about energy fields and ley lines. And this is the sort of thing I reckon Tony would have been right <laughs> on board with. Oh, he probably was, yeah. Yeah. Um, have you heard of what ley lines are? The term sounds familiar, but and I probably, to be honest, it sounds familiar because Tony probably talked to me about it for three hours one night and I pretended I was listening and I wasn't. So yeah, please this will probably me. ring a bell quite quickly. <laughs> it's a theory that's been around for about 100 years, basically describes the energy pathways around the earth and how mm-hmm. they connect sacred sites like Stonehenge to the pyramids to certain... Oh, so this um, is real ancient alien carvings in stuff. Peru. Very much so, okay. yeah. Yeah, Tony um, loved that show. <laughs> I 
and loved you know, that show. <laughs> right up his alley. Yeah. Um, the lines cross and anywhere that there are those junctures, that's where energy can build up and fantastical things can happen. So right. that's the okay. theory that the energy building up is what's pulling the crops down to the ground and creating these intricate patterns. Mm. And that then overlapped with some theories about water activity that was going on underground, which people started tracking. Mm -hmm. And the evidence that was used to back up pretty much all of these ideas was claims that were being made about the electromagnetic field in crop circles. Mm. So any documentary you watch, any article you read will talk about the high electromagnetic radiation being measured inside the circles. See, this is the kind of stuff that sucks me in. I'm like, well, that sounds, mm. when I hear stuff like that, I'm like, that sounds legit. Electromagnetic mm-hmm. fields, we don't quite understand that. Sure, that could be it. No? Well, the thing is, it's whenever these accounts are shared, it's people saying, oh, yeah, I went in there and my phone stopped working <laughs> or my camera suddenly lost all of its battery. So and like, then when I took it out of the circle, it was fine again. So like all the people in Byron Bay who say that the 5G tower is going to stop their bodies from, you know, fighting disease or whatever, like they, that kind of thing. You know how all the people in Byron Bay think the 5G yeah. is poison? Yes, Because yes, of electromagnetism yeah. and it's like, come mm-hmm. on now. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. can you think, well, how can you think that that's point? You are literally all influencers posting on your phones 10 times a day, but then you're like, oh, no, this new kind of phone tower is bad. I know. It's, it's so stupid. ridiculous. And, I mean, that just started with one person saying 5G is what's causing covid that's what's causing the disease at a cellular level. That's the thing with these conspiracies. Idiot. It starts with one person who knows they're not telling the truth in most cases. But it's usually debatable. a compelling a person cases, who is good mm, at talking shit and then everyone listens and it explodes. Off it spreads. And that's the thing with all these theories that I've just described to you. Like one person was the originator of yeah. that theory and then they created a full school of thought based around it. But, yeah, all these stories, you keep seeing them pop up, but I'm yet to actually see any evidence of compasses spinning around frantically mm. in a circle when someone enters into a circle. What's that um, That kid's drawing thing where you put a pen in a spinning top and then you spin it and it does Spirograph. all those... Spirograph. It's, yes. It's, it's almost like someone could go, there is a giant spirograph and it's connected. Yeah. And it's connected to electromagnetism. That's right. And I'm yeah. telling you that there is a giant man who comes down from the sky and he spins it. He spins. Or it's a giant kid, more like it. <laughs> that would be more poetic. Imagine if that was what it ended up being, some intergalactic force yeah, right. that's just going through its teen years and having fun it's with some colored pens. It's a giant spirograph. Uh, mm. It's a giant magna doodle. <laughs> <laughs> well, it kind of is, yeah, more like a magna doodle in that yeah. sense because, you know, they're temporary, these crop circles. Yes. They frantically have to get their images because the stalks can raise themselves back up. They're not all and then completely killed. Um, and then eventually it's going to be harvested anyway. But the weird thing is, so this was the one thing that started to sort of get me, mm. the altered energy in a crop circle seems like it takes a long time to disappear, like sometimes years. So I've seen pictures Wait, to sorry. verify this, but they can I'm be so- doctored. No, 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 no. Go back. What do you mean by altered energy in a crop circle? 
So these electromagnetic fields that they're tracking in there. Yeah. Yeah. Let me tell you the outcome and then... <laughs> okay. Yeah. I feel like I just... I wasn't going to let that sentence slide. So the altered uh, energy fields Energies. take years to... I'm like, hold on a what second. What they claim are altered energy fields... Yes. ...which they claim have been tracked, they're able to demonstrate that they... Yeah, remain where they are because sometimes, not always, but sometimes when a crop circle's been made, the next crop that grows in that field in that spot shows the exact same pattern in the exact same location, not as an indentation, but instead the new crops either flourish to the point where they're a different colour to the okay. surrounding crops within the pattern or it's the opposite and they shrivel and die. Either way, you can see the exact same pattern appearing with the next crop and the next crop and the next crop. Okay. That's odd, yes. My thought is, so maybe whoever made the crop circle did something to the soil. That's what I was going to say. Either to poison it or yeah. fertilise it. Yep, so that's the first thing that I went to. The weirder thing is, though, that in winter, in the late parts of winter when the snow was melting, sometimes the snow would melt faster in the bits of the pattern that had been flattened. Is that sometimes true? Sometimes it wouldn't melt at all. Well, that's the photos that I've seen that I go, that could be doctored, I suppose, but it's a photo from the 80s or the 90s. Mm, okay. But then I'm seeing it's... it on a computer here in 2021, so you could be telling me it's an old photo that's undoctored and I don't necessarily have to believe it. But you read several claims about these Right, ghosts. so like... There is some energy or heat or something in the ground that affects the soil and the way things grow and the way snow melts or doesn't melt for years to come. Okay, see, that gets me. That gets me. I'm like, hello, what? Yeah. And I'm like, but why isn't it consistent? Why isn't it in every case the crops either thrive or Different they die? spaceships. Different spaceships. There we go. Yeah, slightly different <laughs> technology, different coloured pencil on the exactly, spirograph. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Yeah, and look, to the croppies, all that really matters is there's energy there that we don't understand. Mm. And that's the message that they want everyone to take away with them. Like, they don't actually want to find out what these things are. They love to sit and pontificate about what potentially they oh, could yeah, be, because but they're that's not the really interested in answers. Yeah, exactly. So all these theories, they were selling books and they were selling tickets for tours and they were selling tickets for symposiums and conferences that were being mm. organised all around the world. They were starting to have a real cultish flavour to them. I've watched video footage of a few of them and, like, they're just so creepily devoted to the crop circles, the way that they speak about them and the way that they speak about the seriologists as well, like they're kind of the cult leader. Um, they'd appear is it at the bit, conferences. Um, is it a bit Midsummer? Have you seen that movie? No, I Which haven't. I've talked no. about before. Ah, oh, sounds a bit Midsummer, but, yeah, okay. Still on the list, but I might not watch it while I'm here on my own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you should. That's a good mm. idea. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, they'd do meet and greets with their flocks and they'd deliver lectures about their findings and constantly they would denounce the idea that circles could be man-made. They were just too complex and they believed that they could identify fakes and they were constantly condemning people who were making what they called fake circles. So in their language, 
genuine authentic ones are the alien or unexplained mm. ones. They believed they could tell when humans were creating sure. the fake ones. Sure, yep. okay. Yeah. And every year there were more and more obvious hoaxes that just took the piss out of crop circles. So sometimes people would just go in and write their name like Mark in <laughs> a crop, just kind of like a graffiti tag. Um or they'd do something quite elaborate, like a big, beautiful, perfect circle with the word tits carved <laughs> into the middle of it. <laughs> I, I get a joke. I had a mouthful of drink. <laughs> That's what I do. I just go out there and write, like, penis. Yeah. <laughs> I reckon you just draw one. Um, <laughs> yeah, dick and balls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, um, classic. Yeah, so there were those very intentionally unsubtle hoaxes, but then there were also some very subtle, beautiful hoaxes mm. that, you know, used sacred geometry and used all these gorgeous patterns that are found in nature, in seashells and in sunflower but seeds. But if something is a subtle, beautiful hoax that uses geometry, how do you know that's a hoax versus the other ones? Because they do a subtle little flourish to indicate... This oh, was like made by made me. by Rosie. Oh, okay. That's gotcha, right. Gotcha. Yeah, put a little <laughs> okay. signature on it. So it's sort yeah. of like I'm a person and I did this and I yeah. did that one and I did that one and I did that one. Like I want credit. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. There's a pretty famous example that I want to talk about called mm. Operation Blackbird that happened in 1990 that involved a hoaxer who created something that was very subtle and initially convinced some croppies and seriologists that it was legit mm. until they got up close enough. So, 1990, Colin Andrews and Pat Delgado, they orchestrated this mission to try to capture on camera a crop circle being made. So, they mm. set up these overnight crop watches over the course of a week and they were monitoring this field where every year for the last few years there'd been a crop circle around that time. They had all sorts of fancy cameras, motion sensors, heat detectors. It was all being paid for by the BBC and a Japanese TV channel who were broadcasting daily updates on the progress that they were making and trying to track down a crop circle. One night during the operation, there was claims of a bright flash of light at around three in the morning. And when they looked at their camera footage, they could see some very hazy images of some orange orbs floating around above the field, but that was all the camera was able to capture. Then when the sun came up, they looked down into the field below them and they could see a fully formed elaborate pictogram with lots of different lines and shapes and so. And they had been there all night. And not they'd been there all night. They hadn't seen anyone or heard out in the anything. Field, like hadn't heard a thing. There was nothing on mm. the camera, but it turned out that the camera just wasn't able to record that far um, oh, in that low light. Okay, anyway. but still, that's you but know still. to have a whole group of people there waiting to see something and they don't notice. Mm-hmm. Surprising. Mm. So Andrews and Delgado straight away declared this has to be the real deal because it happened so quickly. Mm. There was that flash of light that had to have meant something. The orange orbs have to have meant something. And when they were looking at what they were seeing in the field, it looked so perfect that they were adamant, this is the real deal. But when they got down to the ground to inspect the pictogram inside, in each of the six circles in the pattern, they found a kid's horoscope-themed board game and a little 
crucifix made out of two sticks that had been stuck together <laughs> with twine. <laughs> so it clearly was man-made. It clearly yeah. was a piss take. The Someone whole thing was being televised as well. And so it was very, very embarrassing. They'd clearly been set up and straight away Delgado and Andrews said, this has to have been a military operation to try to discredit us. And that just tells us that this thing goes all the way to the top. This proves what we've known all along, all that right. it is the government trying to hide the truth. But do you want to know who came forward and claimed responsibility for that oh hoax? My, oh, my God. Wait. This is my no. favourite part of the whole story. Stuart Semple, Anish Kapoor. No. <laughs> <laughs> who? Who? Tell me. Okay, 1990. Do you remember a band called the KLF? No, I'm not I think you might cool. remember one of their songs. Okay, do you remember the song? Ooh, bound for Moomoo Land. Tammy Wynette does the vocals on Sing it. More. Sing they're more. They're justified and they're ancient and they like to roam the land. Nope, I'm not cool. Don't. I wasn't cool. I want you to look I'm it sorry, up because I think you know it. Did the Backstreet Boys sing it? Because otherwise, <laughs> I do not know. Wait, hold on. I'll look it up right now. It's such a bop. This is a bop. Yeah. Okay, I will say it's a bop, but I've never heard it before in my life. But okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you're welcome. It it's was one of mine and my sister's favourite songs. <laughs> oh, and really? we loved the film clip as well. Yeah. So I was thrilled to find out that the KLF, which is a duo of two yeah. guys, they were the ones who owned <gasps> up to the fact that they'd orchestrated Stop it. the whole prank. Yes. Because they consider themselves to be performance artists, not yeah. just musicians. And so they mm-hmm. sent this really facetious apology letter to Colin Andrews, basically just saying, haha, gotcha, sorry for the inconvenience, <laughs> but we just thought it was funny that you get to sit back and rake in money by trying mm. to convince people that this thing's real. Yeah, and you're it's a charlatan. Not, and we yeah. did it, yeah. And so he went public with the letter to try to shame them and they just denied and said, no, we didn't send you that letter. Don't know what you're talking about. Absolutely no <laughs> idea. Sorry. <Classic>. But then... <laughs> A week later, a crop circle with the band's logo, which is like a pyramid (laughs) with a boombox on top of it, appeared in a field just a few hundred metres away from where the hoax had happened as a little, like, wink. We got got you, Colin. I love this. They are like the Stuart Semple of crop circle times. (laughs) That's right. Just totally taking the piss. That's awesome. Yeah, so amazing. And everyone, treat yourself. Just go and listen to that song. Watch the film clip. It's, it's amazing. It yeah. just reminds me of that Hillary Quint- uh, Hillary Clinton quote when she got interviewed when uh, Bill Clinton finally admitted to his affair with Monica Lewinsky and the only thing that was going to save him was them interviewing Hillary for her to admit that she, you know, she was standing mm. by him and she didn't care. And one of her most famous lines is, you know, I'm not out here standing by my man like no Tammy Wynette. I'm with him because I love him. I respect him and something, 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 something else. So, like, she basically, like, forced Tammy Wynette into this role of this, like, belittled woman who just stands by terrible men. And it was, and Tammy Wynette was like, hey. (laughs) Ouch. Ouch. Sisterhood. Yeah. 
I know. Anyway, oh, that's what that. That's whenever I hear Tammy Wynette's name, it reminds me of that interview with Hillary. I had no idea about that. Yeah, I'll there we go. You. Another fun little mm. dinner party factoid. P.S. So excited to see American the Crime Story. American Crime Story. <laughs> yeah. Beanie Feldstein looks so amazing as Monica Lewinsky. Mm-hmm. And did you see that they've done a cover story together in W Magazine? And they've said, I saw the photo shoot. Yes. Where Where now are we? They're best friends. Monica and Beanie oh. are best friends. Yeah, they love each other. Oh, it's going to be so it's good. It's going to be so good. I'm, I'm not, finally going to like something Ryan Murphy did. Yeah, because I'm not an American Horror Story fan. Like I've never really gotten into any of those, but I did really like the um, o- uh, American Crime Story O.J. Simpson and I did mm-hmm. really like the American Crime Story um Versace, uh, Versace, that was good, yeah. One. yeah I'll give him and that. this is, is this another crime one? Is this another yep. American crime story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm, oof, it looks good. Yeah. And it's been produced with Monica Lewinsky, so you know it's going to be, like, respectful and not the worst. Yeah. So I'm excited. Uh-huh. Anyway, Pumped. back to crop circles. Back to crop circles. Sorry, everyone, this is going to be such a long episode. I keep going down <laughs> no. all sorts of different tangents. All right, so... The KLF incident, Uh Operation Blackbird, very damaging to the seriologist's reputation, but things were about to get a lot worse the next year. 1991, Mm. in September, the Today newspaper published a front-page article called The Men Who Conned the World, and it told the story of these two retired men in their 60s named Doug and Dave, who said that they'd been making crop circles together in Wiltshire every year since 1978. Get stuffed. Mm-hmm. So they'd been inspired because one of them, it was Doug, I'm sure. No, Dave. Doug yes. and Dave. Um, Dave, <laughs> he'd been living in Australia in the 60s and back then crop circles were happening every now and then. Mm. Here in this area where I am, by the way, like down the road is a place called oh, Tully really? and that's where these crop circles were happening. Um, so Doug was telling Dave about how this bloke had claimed yeah. that he'd seen a flying saucer-type UFO rise up into the air above a swamp one night and mm-hmm. fly off. And when he'd gone to check out the area where he'd seen it, he'd found this perfect circle of flattened grass in a circular spiral pattern. And mm. it made some news here in Australia, but it was quickly debunked by meteorologists who claimed it was just willy-willies, little tornadoes mm. that were stirring the, the grass up. But a lot of... Believers in the paranormal accepted, no, if he says there was a UFO, there must have been a UFO. And what the UFOs left behind is called a saucer's nest. And Dave and Doug decided that they were going to make their own saucer's nest in Wiltshire <laughs> because they wanted to mess with all the UFOlogists who were there, who all believed that Stonehenge is like an intergalactic airport. I love Dave and Doug. Like, they just wanted to have a little bit of fun. So that very night they went out into a field. They just had some rope and some wooden boards. So they made a loop of rope that went between the two ends of the board. Yeah. And then they would just walk around in a circle, stomping the crop down. And just pulling the crops down, yeah. Yeah, and one of them would stand in the middle and hold a rope that gradually led out to the other one. Oh, like a circle, and then you'd walk around and the rope would... Exactly. Oh, that's yeah. smart. Exactly. You're like a human compass, not like yeah. a south-east-west compass, like a geometry compass. Yeah, yeah simple, yeah, yeah. so simple. And they loved it, 
And they kept making a new one every Friday night when they'd go out for boys' night. It became their hobby. But they weren't getting any attention from the media and hardly any of the Wiltshire locals even seemed to notice. And if Mm. they did notice, they didn't really seem to care. But they just kept going because it was a bit of fun for them. Mm. And then in 1981, they'd made that iconic formation of five Mm. circles that first got the media's attention. And that's when things took off and (gasps) that's when it became really fun for Doug and Dave because now they could really mess with some folks. So it wasn't intergalactic aliens. It wasn't electromagnetic fields. It wasn't the angels of God. It wasn't demonic forces. It was Doug and Dave. It was two men in their (laughs) 60s who've got that amazing Western sort of accent in... (laughs) England. I'm I'm so bad at doing it. it. I might try it a little bit later on. Um, we were just trying to give the ufologists a bit of a wind-up. A wind-up. A wind-up, you know, just wind them up. Wind-up, you know. Laugh. Having a laugh. Having a laugh. Having a laugh. Having a laugh. Okay, I get you, I get you. <laughs> like these adorable, cheeky <laughs> old men. And they were watching all the, the coverage, of course. So when the meteorologist <laughs> told the media that he believed it was the swirling vortexes that only go in an anti-clockwise <laughs> pattern, that's why they started making clockwise <laughs> patterns. <laughs> Just to mess with him. I love it. And then when he said, well, sometimes tornadoes can go clockwise, that's when they were like, ha-ha, well, we're going to do some straight lines now. Let's see how you explain this one away. Like, they were just playing. And throughout the 80s, they, of course, noticed that they were inspiring all these copycats throughout England Mm, and mm. across the world. People were seeing what they were doing and they were like, I want to get involved in this and I want to have a go. And with glee, they watched as the whole industry of crop circle tourism started to grow and they watched as all these experts calling themselves (laughs) seriologists started to emerge and the tours were happening, the books were happening, the media appearances, and they were just crying with laughter. They hadn't (laughs) intended to create this trend but they were absolutely going to continue to encourage it because I they were really impressed with the designs that people were coming it. up with. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine sitting at home knowing that you created something on a night when you were drunk with your best mate and there are people on the news going, oh, this is very serious and I'm an expert and I'm going to explain to you all the intricacies of this very serious thing that I'm an expert in. And it's like, what, are you an expert in Doug and Dave being pissed and having a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so delicious. Oh God, um, it's so delicious. Yes, they were taking it so seriously and saying this changes our understanding of our universe <gasps> at a fundamental level. Like that's the sort of way that these seriologists talk about oh their findings. God. And Doug and Dave are like, mm, it's, it's really just us with a board <laughs> and some rope. And, yeah. And, look, they would have probably stayed hidden, but Mm. in 1991 it was announced that the seriologists were about to get a grant from the government to help fund their research because Queen Elizabeth and her family had a very keen interest in being informed about what was going on. It's widely known Mm. that Prince Charles is very um, crunchy and into all that kind of nonsense. So, yeah, it would have been him. Yeah. And. You know, it's in the interest of national security, potentially, if this is some kind of interdimensional or extraterrestrial oh, threat. 
So this was when Doug and Dave thought, okay, things have gone a little bit too far. <laughs> we don't want government money to be spent yeah. on this. So they decided to come forward and tell the truth for a fee, of course. They were intelligent mm. about that. They approached two newspapers, the Daily Mirror and Today, and asked how Can much I- they'd get for the exclusive story. Before you tell us how much they'll get for the exclusive story, can I please predict right now that all the people who are heavily invested in this do not care what Doug and Dave have to say and still just believe what they believe no matter what? Correct, yes. Jumping ahead, you've already foreseen it. There is a smear campaign. (laughs) Yes, of course, because they're ruining their entire universe. Doug and Dave created a universe and then they tried to destroy it and the people who Uh love that universe were like, no, no, we love it Sorry, it's ours now, we live here. How much were Doug and Dave potentially going to get? Oh, they only got like three thousand pounds. Oh, it wasn't a huge amount of money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they were pretty happy with it, and you know, nineteen ninety one money as well. And they didn't care Um, because they were doing it for fun. So I think any money, they were probably just like, oh, okay. Exactly, and the enjoyment of making some of these people look silly was Mm. just so. Yummy. Um, So, yeah, today offered the most they got the scoop. A major part of the story was a sting operation that targeted Pat Delgado. So the team from today, all the journalists, watched Mm. Doug and Dave while they made a pretty elaborate design in a field using their crude technique, just squashing with a board. I'm dying. And then Doug and Dave. What do they call it? Schadenfreuder? I'm dying. Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude right now? I can't. I'm dying. Yeah. Once Doug and Dave were hiding behind a tree, the journalist brought Pat Delgado out, asked him to inspect the brand new crop circle that they'd found. He checked it out. He declared it is absolutely the real deal, geometrically perfect, pristine lay of the crop, absolutely not the work of human tools. And then when he'd finished his little declaration of authenticity, they brought out Doug and Dave for their gotcha moment. When they showed Pat Delgado all of the evidence and he had no choice but to admit that he'd been had and he looked like a fool. And Is this on video? It's, yep. Oh, the, I've got to they watch this. recorded the Straight whole thing. I'll this. put the link in the show notes. Oh. Yes, the moment that his heart breaks when oh, he realises. No. <laughs> his exact words are, you've made me look a fool. And he just accepts in the moment. I don't feel bad for him because he has been exploiting people for money off insisting Mm -hmm. that this stuff is aliens when he knows very well that it's not. Get Mm -hmm. stuffed. Yep. Um, He still said, though, that he believed in crop circles, but he decided because he'd been so badly disgraced through the trickery, he Mm. just sort of slunk off and disconnected himself from the world of seriology from that point. And the whole thing kicked up such a huge shitstorm amongst the croppies. Like we said, Mm. they were not just going to accept this story and go, haha, we've all been had. They started coming up with stories that Doug and Dave were being paid by the military and they were puppets Mm. of MI5 or the CIA. And they're just pathological liars and they started digging into dirt from their past. And look, maybe they were telling some lies and maybe there were some small inconsistencies in their story. The point is that they were able to fool someone who claimed to be an expert in Mm. real crop circles into thinking that what they'd made was actually made by an alien. And also they'd been doing it for like, what, 20 years? 13 years. Yeah, or 13. Of course there's going to be inconsistencies in their story. Like, 
can you really expect Doug and Dave to remember exactly? They're just like, yeah, whenever we would go out and get pissed, we'd do a funny crop circle. I can't remember the details. Like, yeah. I don't know what size or where or which crop. Like, we just did it because it was funny. Of course they're not going to remember exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they're not keeping totally. log books. Mm-hmm. But Michael Glickman just smeared them as disgusting, sleazy scoundrels. Those were the words he Mm. kept using again and again. And they just went into denial. And it's the same as, you know, when Marmaduke Weatherell or whatever his name was, he came forward and said, I faked the Loch Ness Monster photo. And so many Nessie heads just said, nope, nope, you didn't. You're just lying. You're not telling the truth. That's a genuine, legitimate photo. And there's something going on behind the scenes that's making you tell a lie. And same with QAnon. Exactly. There's no way that they were going to accept that Trump and Q are not going to one day bring but about the storm. It's like we said, it's because whatever it is, whatever it is, if it's QAnon, if it's the Loch Ness Monster, if it's crop circles, people have found a sense of connection and purpose in it and they mm-hmm. just don't want that to stop existing because mm-hmm. it has it has given their life some direction and mm-hmm. I can understand that how desperate they are to have that to not stop existing. Yeah. The thing sure. that has made you happy and has helped you meet people and has given you a sense of community and a sense of idealism and something to do and then someone pops up and says, "Lol, I was making fun of you. It's all a joke." You'd be mm. like, "Wait, what?" No, mm-hmm. you just it's mm-hmm. easier to refuse to believe that. Yeah. Find an alternative narrative for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Colin Andrews did end up announcing after this whole Doug and Dave situation, though, that he believed that up to 80% of crop circles were man-made and he positioned himself as the only expert who could truly tell the difference between <laughs> genuine and fake. That infuriated the croppie community because they just hated the idea that it... Mm. of what they believed in was a lie. Michael Glickman came out and said, maximum, it's 10% that are fake. And Colin Andrews, you, sir, are a sellout. And that caused a huge rift in the crappie community. You were either team Glickman or you were team Andrews. And they did not see eye to eye on pretty much anything. And, of course, the whole Doug and Dave thing generated more media attention, which inspired more circle makers, which led to more and more sophisticated circles being produced. And some of the circle makers were quite public about their identity and they turned their hobby into a profession. (laughs) And all throughout the 90s, yeah, they would accept commissions from people. Awesome, good. You're an artist. I'd imagine that would be really hard to do well. Yeah, incredibly difficult. They spend months practicing and mapping out how they're going to use different tape measures and different tools to get the most perfect outcome. Yeah, the quantity and the quality just continued to get better and better every year. And the designs then started to contain decipherable codes in them. They'd always said that they were messages, but now they started appearing with like musical compositions in there or like complex mathematical equations or Morse code and then binary code, which to me I just go, that's evidence it's man-made. Well, yeah, but but also to be honest, the most impressive thing to me is that people are able to 
put such complex symbols like musical notes and mathematical symbols into a crop. Mm. Like not because you're not flying above it. You are literally doing it on the ground, hoping you're getting the exact measurements right. To me, the fact that they're man-made is like a feat of man's genius. I think that's awesome. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'm right there with you. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Um, But, yeah, when these messages started to appear, the croppies, Uh. of course, just went, oh, they speak our language, they know English and Morse code, and they're trying to give (laughs) us a message. Um, And you've got to keep in mind as well the context. This is the lead-up to the new millennium. Mm. And so people were sort of freaking out about this new era we were about to enter, and they were, you know, convinced that maybe this is Mother Gaia trying to share these direct messages with us. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius, age of Aquarius. I thought you were going to join in. I always think you're going to join in and you don't. So, okay. Once again, hung out to dry. Sorry. Look, maybe I'll join you next time. We'll see. Yeah, so tourism kept booming, books and merch still flying off the shelves, lots of media coverage, and then wilder and wilder claims about the circles started to happen as well. Here are just a couple of my favourites for fun. There was one woman who claims that she entered into a circle and found that all of the crops were coated in very finely ground up raw flesh and bone fragments and feathers, which seemed to indicate that a flock of pigeons had been flying overhead when the pulse of energy to create the circle. (laughs) Boom, came down and made them explode. And eviscerated the pigeons. (laughs) No. And she laughs about it. I guess it is kind of darkly funny, but it's not true. You made it up. (laughs) There were lots of stories that came forward about um, physiological and psychological effects that the circles were having on people and on animals as well. Some people said they felt a sense of euphoria, tingling all over the body, leading up to sometimes orgasms that people claimed that they had just from standing in the circle. Can you describe my face right now? I'm just, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just I'm literally looking at you like, come on. Her eyebrows have just become a monobrow. She's <laughs> frowning so hard that they're Please. meeting in the middle of her forehead. Please. Please. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. They were okay. getting visions, apparitions. Okay. On the other end of the spectrum, some people said they felt anxious and nauseous and dizzy. Mm-hmm. People talked about their pets having seizures when they went into a circle. The really dangerous claims were people saying that um, they had Parkinson's disease and that they had no symptoms for 24 hours after they went into no. a circle. That's Bell Gibson level nonsense. It is, yes. Yeah. And then... Um, postmenopausal women claiming that they'd started menstruating again after they'd been inside a circle. Oh, That's a potentially okay. damaging lie. Yes, it is. One of the funniest claims, though, was a man who claimed that he got an erection when he entered a circle and he had it for the next 24 hours. Well, you're just a pervert, sir. <laughs> yeah, like that's not... You're just a dirty perv. And no one's going to wish that on themselves. No, what are you going yeah, to done a, in your day? That's not a positive reaction to a thing. Uh-uh. Yeah. That's a medical issue. <laughs> more and more scientists started to get involved in the game at this point to try to explain these phenomena. And, of course, they just started spawning 
newer claims and theories that Mm. were backed by their so-called studies. And when I say scientists, know that that's in inverted commas because some of these people, they just started saying that they had a PhD, but they did not actually (laughs) have anything close to a PhD. A PhD in seriology? (laughs) Seriologist. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So the things that they were finding, I'll just quickly skim over them. They would send people out to crop circles to bring back samples of the stalks that were inside Mm. the circle as well as outside the circle. And then they would keep releasing these amazing findings that they were making. Like, for example, the stalks had been stretched in some of them and the cells Mm. had been elongated. Sometimes the grains inside the circle would be significantly smaller than the grains outside the circle. Sometimes it was the other way around. They were much bigger. Sometimes they were sterile. Sometimes they were actually super fertile. There were all these stories as well about microwave technology must be being used because it's exploded in certain parts (laughs) of the cell because of extreme heat. Like my pizza pocket. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, Yeah. And like. They obviously didn't need these findings to be true. Their Mm. goal was just to get attention and to keep people interested Mm. and keep donations coming into them. So it's 100% a grift, but the sorts of things they were putting out there were like iron oxide pebbles fused into certain crops, pieces of um, meteorite that are being found inside the cells Mm. of crops. Like they started to become more and more outlandish. This is basically wellness grifting before the wellness industry became a thing in the 2000s. Like this is, this was the early stages of that. Yep. Becoming. That's right. Can I ask, once Doug and Dave admitted that they were the hilarious larrikins behind all that stuff, the government didn't give them a grant, right? Like they didn't get that. No. The Queen was like, lol, soz Charles, I'm not doing this. You're an idiot. That's right. Okay, good. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Everyone who was level-headed sort of went, okay. Uh, Okay, it was Doug and Dave. Okay. We see it now. We see it. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's just, this honestly just all sounds like grifting goop nonsense before the internet existed. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yep. in a in a in a large sense. Yes. Yeah. Before yeah. It was part of common life. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And it's still going. That's the thing. Because like the industry oh, around crop circles, <laughs> if you want to become a crop circle artist, you can make some serious money. Like you can make designs mm. on commission. It's used for advertising quite a lot because it's very effective, relatively cheap, but it gets media coverage in a lot of cases. Um, and a lot of companies even sponsor crop circle making competitions. So, you know, it's something that gets a lot of publicity for a brand and can end up being quite financially lucrative for people. But when you say it gets a lot of publicity for a brand, like so companies will hire people who can make crop circles and then like pretend that it's a real crop circle to get it in the news cycle to get attention? I don't, what do you mean? It does end up in the news cycle to get attention. Usually the story is, I'll tell you one from 2014. So quite a recent one, a crop circle showed up and the first bit of media attention was, oh my gosh, this looks like a microchip. This is then people believed, oh, this is real. And if we decode this, it looks like it's actually a little microchip. And then the company who had commissioned it, I think it's called right. Nvidium or something, came forward and said, yep, that was us. So they ended up getting multiple stories yeah, right. in the news cycle. 
Yeah. So they let it they let it run for a few days so that everyone speculates and then they go, hey, it was Vodafone or That's whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Okay. I Nike yeah. did a giant footprint and then a few uh, days yeah. later okay. it was us. Yeah. Oh, hey, it was us. Oh, mm-hmm. Okay, I get it, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the circle makers try to stay anonymous like Banksy does, but some of them are public figures, essentially. Either way, yeah. the seriologists and the croppies hate them and they've done their best to try to, like, <laughs> get revenge on them. Because they prove that you're idiots. Uh-huh, yep. Um, Michael <laughs> Glickman, it took him until 2000 to get one of the circle makers or hoaxes, as he calls them, arrested um, because one guy had contacted a radio station and said, look, I'm going to make this really intricate design just to prove that two people can do it in a field overnight. He went ahead and did it. Michael Glickman found out his name and then convinced the relevant farmer to press charges. So the artist, Matthew Williams, he ended up only having to pay £100 as his fine, (laughs) but then he got a huge amount of publicity for his skill and talent and also Mm. drew the world's attention to the fact that two people can make something like Mm. this. So that 100% backfired on Michael Glickman, but he still counted it as a win because Mm -hmm. justice was served. Um, And I will just say the circle makers aren't all total sceptics themselves. Like a lot of them are woo-woo, drum circle, dreadlock types who believe... So why do they do it? Well, they think that they're like a conduit for a higher power. Like they're being used as a vessel for some sort of spiritual communicator. And so So they they think that the crop circles they're making are being, like, fed to them from on nigh. The inspiration is And the crop circles they meant, it's from divine inspiration. Oh, That's Go right. and eat a herpes penis and <laughs> want, fuck right off. Can I tell you what they call their circles? Oh, please. Sacred temples. <gasps> <laughs> Ugh, that's like what Gwyneth calls her vagina. Like I just, I can't. No, 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 thank you. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, they say that they see UFOs and balls of light while they're working and apparitions and they're affected by energies. So they kind of do align with the croppies in certain ways. And a lot mm. of croppies have come to accept, okay, so it is otherworldly and it is spiritual. The spirits are just acting through you. Um, but everyone in Michael Glickman's camp is like, nope, they're a virus, they're disgusting. Anyone who agrees with them is the spawn of Satan. Mm. And just like in the croppies where there are these factions, the circle makers also have these rival groups. And so this is where I really ended up accidentally getting sucked in because (laughs) this is where the internet feuds come in between the different Mm. circle-making collectives. Um, So despite the drum circles and the dreadlocks, they can be just petty men at the end of the day. Like they'll accuse each other of plagiarism or stealing credit for someone else's work and they'll spy on each other and they'll critique each other's work brutally, try to sabotage each other in the process of making their circles as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they'll run into each other in the same field and it'll result in physical fights because, you know, (laughs) they're trying to become the preeminent artist in creating these circles. and circle... Expertise. That's right. And then the thing that I've just found so hilarious and fascinating over the last week is looking at this bizarre relationship that the 
croppies, the seriologists and the circle makers have with each other because you can't have one without the other. Like they rely so heavily on each other. The circle makers still do make mystery circles that no one takes credit for because they need Mm. to maintain the myth to maintain the interest. And the seriologists, they would be screwed if the circle makers ever stopped because then no more crop circles, nothing for you to sell your books and photographs about anymore. So it's an industry that kind of feeds itself. Exactly. So they act like they're enemies, but they require each other on a fundamental level. And look, who knows? It might keep going for the next couple of decades or it might start to lose steam. And we have seen it sort of peter out the last few years. That's what I was going to ask. When you say it might keep going, is it still happening now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in the middle of the um, crop circle season at the moment. I'll post a link Ooh, to a yeah? website you can go to and they provide daily updates on new circles as and they appear. they're still yeah. happening. Oh, yeah. wowzers, really? But, yeah, I mean, they reached their peak in the late 90s and since then yeah. they've started to sort of taper off. But, yeah, there are still a lot of mystery circles that are being produced as well as a lot of known commissioned works. Mm. Yeah. I mean, if it's a hobby that you're passionate about, you're going to continue on with it. There Mm. were a couple of noteworthy ones that I wanted to mention just from the last couple of years. Um, Firstly, one of my favourites of all time, there's a crop circle collective who created... um, Well, first of all, they found out when Trump was coming to visit the UK in 2018 (laughs) to meet with (laughs) Theresa May... Found out where his helicopter was going to be flying and they figured out the flight path and made sure that when he looked out the window, he would see a giant crop circle that said, written in Russian, Trump. (laughs) You're going to have to beep that. Beep that. Beep Trump. I love that they assume that he can read Russian because I know absolutely that's the thing. cannot. I, like, <laughs> I love it and Trump would love it as well because he just would have seen his name and would have disregarded yeah. all of the other symbols. Yeah, he would not have known what the rest of it was. Mm-mm. And I doubt he had people around him who were willing to tell him. No. And then yeah. last year there was one that appeared that is in the shape of a coronavirus. In fact, that was a little bit of mm-hmm. a trend. But that then led to this big debate about whether or not the aliens are trying to help us by giving us clues how we're going to beat the pandemic or is it just something that a lot of people are talking about and, of course, the circle makers Mm. are going to make something that's going to make headlines like that. Uh, Yes, I I think that's probably what it is and it's helpful that the little coronavirus symbol is a lot of circles. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, yeah. Well, one of the spike proteins is like intentionally really overly elongated in elongated. So there were all these theories going around the internet saying that's the spike protein that we have to target. That's going to be the thing that ends up leading to the cure. Blah, 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 blah. Final thing that I'll say is just in the last few years, technology has made it even easier for people to create their hoaxes because they can just Mm. do it on their laptop. They can do it on their phone. It's so easy to Photoshop an image. And there was yeah. a famous incident last year as well where an image was going all around that featured the Microsoft logo inside a coronavirus. And obviously the implication there is that uh-huh. Bill Gates orchestrated this thing. They're putting chips inside thing. you. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, you know, within a few days, people were able to say, oh, this is very clearly a Photoshop job. This is not legitimate. No one actually made this crop circle, but it was too late. The anti-vax QAnon types had already Mm. seen it. So now if you want to create your own crop circle, it's almost like it's as simple as using a spirograph. You can just do certain effects on your computer and make it look like you've been out in a field when you actually even haven't. Yeah, like you don't have to go to a field with a couple of broom handles and a rope anymore and do it in the middle of the night like Doug and Dave. Like you can literally just get a picture on your computer and Photoshop it. That's all you need to do now. I mean, we're living in the time of deep fakes where you can literally, like we have apps that are meant to be funny where you put your face on the faces of actors in famous movies and it looks like you're acting in the movie, which everyone's Mm. like, lol, but it's also like, wow, that's a little concerning that Mm -hmm. it's that easy to do in an app that is free. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, so imagine, like, you you just can't trust anything online anymore. Yep. So, I mean, it does kind of make you think, like, back in the 80s and the early 90s when all this was happening, why wouldn't you believe those photos were real? Because they didn't have the capacity to edit them like we have now. Yeah, right. What you were seeing had to be real. It had to have happened in that field on that crop. There's a really famous video from 1996, I believe it is. So Mm. this guy barged into a pub one night and said, oh, my God, I found this incredible footage on my camera. I've got to show to you guys. I didn't even realise that it was there. I was filming a field overnight and a crop circle showed up. Look what I've found on my video footage. And when you watch the video footage, there are three white orbs floating around in the sky Mm. and then underneath them in the matter of seconds, this elaborate crop circle appears with all these Mm. different offshoots. And Everyone just accepted it's real, it's real, it's real. And for three weeks, it was like, yes, we finally got the proof. And now we know it's unidentified flying objects using some sort of power from the sky to make them. And then he turned around and went, ha ha, gotcha. I'm a film editor. And (laughs) I made that in the space of a couple of hours. And... Sorry, but I just had to. Just to prove have you're a idiots. Bit of a laugh. Um, yeah, bit of a laugh. Yeah, the claim was that technology just did not exist. There's no way he'd be able to oh, do that. People please. still believe in that today. Toy Story came out in 1995. There was actually yeah, some pretty sophisticated I mean, technology back then. Even that incredibly famous photo uh, back, I think it was like the early 1900s of somebody holding up their hand and a little fairy standing in their hand. Mm. And that was because a photographer back in like 1900 or 1910 or whenever it was realised that if you have a person standing far away from you and then you put your position your hand underneath them and then you take a photo, it looks like you're holding a little person in your hand. Mm. I mean, people have been... And then those photos went the 1900 version of viral because Mm. people thought it proved that fairies were real. And it's like, no... It just proves that photographers and artists are smart and they know how to manipulate images and space and light and measurements to make things look the way that they want you to think they look. Mm-hmm. That's right. People, People have been doing it for clever. years and years. 
Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Yep. And like that is exactly the core of this crop circle story as well. We underestimate what people are capable of. We see something that's amazing that we couldn't do. We couldn't immediately figure out how to do. And we assume that no person would be able to actually do it. Well, that's why I said to you before, I mean, people go on about how it could be God. It could be the devil. It could be aliens. To me, the most amazing thing about the crop circle story is look at what humans can do. Yeah. Look at what incredibly smart, artistic people can do. They can create intricate, amazing, beautiful patterns in like these large, unfathomably large spaces that they don't even know what they're doing. They can't see it from above. They do it on the ground without even knowing how it's going to look. They just have measured it the right way. That blows my mind mm. that they are able to create something like that. Especially on the when ground. you think they do it at night in the space of a couple of hours in a team. Yes. Like coordinating a team can be so difficult. And sometimes this like really elaborate formations, they're having to like create an entire circle in the space of 30 seconds. So it's like, so like get in, get out, get it done. Why can't we just accept? that this is an incredible example of the brilliance of human artistry and design. Mm. <laughs> like, that not that enough? Isn't that amazing enough? You would think so, but if you've already wed yourself to the idea that it's little <laughs> green men that are coming to visit, then it's, gotta be little it's somehow green less appealing. And, look, it's now 40 years of Doug and Dave's legacy mm. since they sort of hit the headlines in a sense, mm. um, 30 years since they debunked themselves and came forward and, like, who knows whether this is going to continue or not. The trend started, it's peaked. I'm very well, interested to see if it keeps station, going though. for the rest of our lives. I mean, I don't think Doug and Dave can ever rein that train back in. It's left the station. Oh, what I'm saying is, is I'm curious to see if people keep going with it or not or if it's something oh, that just will. loses steam. No, it's it won't lose steam. It may not have as much steam, but people are always going to believe in this stuff. Tony believed in this stuff. Mm. Like... And even if you had told him about Doug and Dave, I reckon he still would have been one of the ones going, oh, but there are some that are real and uh, what about the electromagnetism? And uh, like Doug and Dave kicked something off that they cannot rein back in. Because if there are believers, there are going to be hoaxes because I truly believe that if, you know, someone has a belief, there's going to be someone who wants to take the piece out of it at some level. (laughs) Which is us. Yeah. (laughs) I always just, I think the motto is in life, it's cooler and more awesome to be the person taking the piss. (laughs) That's how I like to live. And I know a lot of people will say, no, it's more awesome to be genuine and sincere and to truly believe in things. And I'm like, good for you. Believe. Go ahead. But I'm a comedian and I just want to take the piss. (laughs) Well, that's your prerogative, my darling. Yeah, yours too. Mm. That was a good episode. Thank you. It was it was long, it was meaty. I ended up going down all the different tangents that I was going to try not to. Actually, <laughs> I skipped over a lot of them. I did exhibit self-control. Um, but I'll well give done. you 
a bunch of different links for places to start, especially mm. if you um, have an appetite for getting into some um, circle maker and crappie <laughs> shit posting. Um, well, yeah, I mean, we give you just the gist, but as always, if you want more, we always put a lot of links in the show notes so you can go down your own uh, probably what will end up being very unhealthy rabbit holes. Mm. <laughs> but please go for it. <laughs> Maybe in a couple weeks we'll get emails at justthegistpodcast at gmail.com saying, I'm a crappie now. <gasps> I would love, love, love to hear from people. Tell us whether you do believe or you don't believe. Maybe yes. tell us why. Have you seen a crop circle in person yourself? Did you experience the effects of the electric, what is it, electromagnetic radiation. Did your period immediately start gushing out of you the second you walked into it? Tell us, please. And follow us on Instagram, Just The Gist Podcast. Yes. At Rosie Waterland, at Jacob William Stanley. Rate and review, etc. We're always bad at this part. You know, do all that shiz. Um, and thank you so much. Pleasure. See you all next week. Bye. Love you. Bye. Listener.